This is the Video Junkyard Podcast. A place that appeals to your deepest and darkest fantasies. The dead whose haunted souls hunt the living. I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass. And I'm all out of bubblegum. From this nightmare world emerges a fearsome half-man, half-ape with the strength of 20 demons. Welcome back to another exciting episode of the Video Junkyard. I am one of your hosts, Joe Peterson. With me as always, Eric O'Branson. Eric, how's it going? It's going good. I'm uh, coming to you live from beautiful, sunny Rockford, Illinois tonight. Is there a sunny uh, Rockford, Illinois? <laughs> I don't think so. And actually, it's nighttime, so <laughs> I'm just uh, bullshitting all the way around. But Perhaps um, in the sister do- city, yeah. Yes, yes. Uh, doing good, doing good. We're uh, traveling. Uh, my wife, Corey, is traveling for work again, and we have family in the area, so I'm actually recording tonight from my mother-in-law's basement. So, oh, <laughs> well, wow. not basement, but first level, yeah. Is um, that is that so. typically a scary thing, or does that work out pretty well? No, actually, that works out pretty well. So we, uh, we've been uh, mooching off her pretty uh, regularly for the past couple of months, because Corey's been working out here, and yeah, no, it's... Uh, it's been uh, all good, pretty much. So. Awesome. <laughs> so, awesome. Got to do some visiting family, and uh, uh, actually my family had like a little family reunion yesterday, and uh, got to see some people I haven't seen in a long time, and all all good good things, so yeah, awesome. it was fun. It's uh, not like one of those situations where it's like, I haven't seen these people in a long time, and I could go longer next time. Yeah, there's a actually reason. Good. No, no, yeah. no, yeah, this was all, all people that I enjoy seeing, so... Awesome, and that's that's a good thing too. I, I I just did a bunch of traveling this summer and you know, seeing people that I haven't seen at least in a year, sometimes longer. And you know, it's uh, right setting, right people. Uh, doesn't matter how far you have to travel. It's, yeah, uh, always well, a good time. Speaking speaking of traveling, you were out in the bush for about yeah <laughs> for how long? Three weeks? Almost? Uh, two weeks, about two weeks. Yeah, yeah. yeah so doing another another dig in uh, in central Utah outside of Price. We're at our, our dinosaur quarry and. Yeah, yeah, I was um, very excited to get out there and very excited to get home because yeah, I, I think I think you know I um, I'm I'm learning that in my now past my mid 30s I'm now getting to the mid to late 30s I guess something like that uh, it's I can't sleep on the ground like I used to be able to I mean I can but <laughs> I just whine about it a lot more now right um, but yeah it was a good trip just a lot of being dirty a lot which is fun for a while and then you're just like holy shit i need a shower and you take a shower and then you go right back to camp and you're filthy again instantly so that was my life for two weeks and it was great so <laughs> yeah yeah but, and uh, not to you know ruin the the illusion for anybody but um we record these episodes a you know a little while before they go uh, out for uh 
Yes, pay you know, no attention to the man behind the so, curtain. Exactly. Um, so, if you've been, you know, keeping up with the episodes the last three or four weeks, we had recorded prior to Joe going off uh, on this trip. So, um, we are kind of shaking the cobwebs off here. So, it's been about a month since we've actually recorded a video junkyard podcast, and. Um, it, yeah. it was cool to, to be out in the field and there's like this one spot where there's a piece of rebar sticking in the ground that if you stand there on like one foot, you actually get 4G signal. And so <laughs> I would check social media occasionally just to be like, hey, everybody, I'm still alive. And uh, it was neat to see like another episode of Video Junkyard Podcast has been released. I'm like, yeah, because we planned ahead. <laughs> yeah. Because I'm clearly yeah, not doing it from the desert. <laughs> we're lucky we did yeah it was we were able yeah. to um we just ran out of episodes uh last week so we're we're gonna be almost current this week it's kind of for the first time so every every episode is time traveling yes it kind of works out pretty well but so what have uh, you been up to besides that i mean obviously you haven't had a chance to watch much I, other I stuff or see anything you've been up i just been spending time with the family since i've been home yeah. Really spending time with the kids, you know, a little bit here and there working from home and, and getting to the office when I can to try to, you know, get ready for the upcoming semester and all that. But we've actually been working really hard, you know, you and I on on planning. All right, what's the next what's the next phase? What are the next couple of episodes we're going to do? What are the movies we're going to watch? And I'll be honest, there's nothing like coming back from, like I said, two weeks of camping in the desert and sitting on your ass and watching some good classic 80s horror. Um, it's actually been just the relaxation that I needed. So well, I'm glad we could uh, yeah, that's right. provide it, it, that. <laughs> it's it's been it's been kind of perfect. And actually, the the movies that we are doing today, this is uh, the first part of our two parter. First um, part of our two part Monster Palooza for yeah. You know, I just, that's a weak title, but hey, that's what I got right now. I could tell it was. I could tell that that was totally unplanned and it really worked. Um, yeah. No, I did not write <laughs> down Monster Palooza, everybody. So it's, <laughs> this is gonna wow them. Um, no, it, it's uh, these are two films that, uh, gosh, I, I saw them in the early '90s when they came out, late '80s, early '90s when they came out, and I don't think I realized until many years later that, wow, they have a lot of parallels, yet they have a totally different uh, tone. So why don't you tell everybody what films we're going to be talking about today and in the next episode? Well, let's go ahead and introduce the first of our two films that we're going to talk about i'll let everybody kind of let the suspense hold for the the second one um for the time being we may we may accidentally spoil it but um the first film which actually was your pick if you want to go ahead yep. and uh, uh give us a little rundown on that so one. this is the 1990 film directed by writer and director and artist clive barker this is nightbreed out of your deepest fears and your darkest fantasies, Clive Barker brings you a startling new breed of adventure. I won't let you down. Nightbreed. At last, the night has a hero. Outstanding. Yeah. 
Specifically, we're looking at Nightbreed's Director's Cut. Now, there are three different versions of Nightbreed that are available on Blu-ray and DVD. There's the theatrical version, which I think most of us are most familiar with. That was the one that you picked up in the video store, and actually, it's the one I actually have on DVD. Then there is the Cabal Cut, which came out a number of years ago, which is, what, like 155 minutes? It's it's uh... Yes, it runs like 240, I think, almost, okay. like two yeah, hours and 40 long film. minutes. And then relatively recently, we have uh, the mm -hmm. film that we're going to be focusing on a little bit more today, which is Nightbreed, the director's cut. Um, so Clive Barker, again, who uh, wrote the not only the, the film and also directed it, but also he wrote the book of which Nightbreed is based on, which is called Cabal, um, or more of a novella. Uh, he actually was never really that happy with the theatrical version of this film. I think he was a little bit happier in a roundabout way with the Cabal cut, but uh, the director's cut is uh, really his his vision. They were able to, to find some of the original footage. I think it was on old VHS tapes, and they were able to kind of cut things together um, and, and restore some of it, too. This is The cool thing about this director's cut, I'll say, is unlike other versions, including the Cabal cut, but also other versions of director's cuts, you can usually tell the scenes that are being put back in because they you know they're maybe not as polished yeah in this case yeah, especially if a lot of time has gone by in the meantime like trying to um you know they they find stuff that's archival or originally kind of ended yeah. up on, literally because it's a it's kind of a cliche but literally on the cutting room floor and the film was you know damaged or thrown away at one point somebody there have literally been moments i've heard of in in restoring lost parts of films or deleted scenes from films where Literally, they're an archivist or like an editor who, part-time editor who was working on one little piece of the film would salvage the stuff from the garbage can and just be like, oh, I'm going to hang on to these, you know, these snippets just as a souvenir. And then years later, find out that they're holding on to the only copy of work print wow. from, um, Whatever you know, film. a scene yeah. that was, yeah, was cut from the film and that, that they have the only copy of that and they're able to restore it. But, you know, oftentimes because it's been quite literally on the cutting room floor in the garbage can of the cutting room it's yeah. uh they have to do some work to restore it or it's you know scratched or damaged um, i will say that this one to me i think for most people is the test of uh you know is it a, a good quality has been restored correctly is when you're watching the film and you you're familiar with maybe the theatrical version you're watching the director's cut and you're going was this scene in the original you can't tell always because yeah. uh, it's usually something subtle. It's something that meant a lot to the director or to the writer or to the editor or something. It, this was a part that worked, and it, it pushed something forth to, to develop characters. And in, in preparing for this episode, I was doing a little bit of reading about you know what the problems were between Clive Barker and the producers uh, for this film. And it just got me thinking a little bit about... You know, when when we talk about films, and as as we do every time we have one of these episodes, uh, you know, we're always talking about who directed it, and sometimes right. we get into producing who starred in it, where the source material come from, but we don't always talk about who wrote the screenplay or who did the editing, and really they're such an important part of telling this story. I mean, the director is to, is that's their vision of a story and then the right. editor takes that and they as you know as a filmmaker they make it yeah. into really the film you're looking I mean, at at its at its basest like there are three people or three positions because sometimes one person wears multiple hats in a production of a film but um three people that drastically affect the artistic vision that i would say the screenwriter the director and then the the editor whoever mm -hmm. finishes the film um on big you know budget motion pictures there are 
plenty more people that have influence, including there'll be, a, you know, there's, there's often many executive producers, but there's going to be like an on-site producer, like someone who is in charge of making sure that this project um, from start to finish runs smoothly. And they're usually the person that hires the director or, for, you know, gets the screenwriter. Or Usually what they'll do is they'll buy a screenplay from somebody, starving artist type, and then they'll get someone professional in to do rewrites on it. And, right, right. And polish it up and... Um, Anyway, not to dive into um, Hollywood. But no, I think but yeah, it's important, for... especially in the history of this film, which I grew up on. I've loved it since the first time I saw it, but I was a weird mm-hmm. kid. You know, critically, this movie didn't do very well. And, and the marketing is really why. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Hey, just a reminder, all the reviews we do here on the Video Junkyard podcast are full of spoilers. Now, most of the movies that we are reviewing are older than I am, so if you haven't seen them yet, get out there and watch them. But just as a warning, there are spoilers in these reviews. Spoiler alert. The basic plot of, of Nightbreed, which, you know, just, just to kind of yeah, do can, the, can, the description of it. Do you have a it, synopsis handy? Is there a... uh, I could just describe it. I mean, it stars Craig sure. Schaefer, uh, David Cronenberg, who we've talked about repeatedly on the show, uh, yeah. Anne Bobby and Charles Hayde came out in 1990 it was a Morgan creek productions it was distributed by 20th century fox and what this film is about is uh this the main character played by craig shaver uh is this guy named boone who is having nightmares that he is a serial killer so he's going to a psychiatrist named decker played by david cronenberg who is actually a psychotic so you've got it's, it's almost a hannibal lecter kind of thing where you've got this person going to a psychiatrist saying i think i'm screwed up and the psychiatrist is the really screwed up one but another thing that boone dreams about is this place called midian it's a place for monsters and he goes on a journey to actually find midian which is in uh, the catacombs of an old cemetery it's true everything's true God's an astronaut. Oz is over the rainbow. Midian's where the monsters live. And it, the film is really about, uh, you know, isolationism. It's it's about race in a way, in many ways. Uh, it's about these outcasts. And yes, they're monsters, but the monsters in this are not the bad. They're not the villains. Mm-hmm. The villains are the regular town people and the so-called regular humans. Um, As is the case so often in monster movies, actually. So. It really is. I mean, look at Frankenstein, for example. The scariest thing mm-hmm. in Frankenstein, or at least the thing that's marketed to be the scariest thing, is is an innocent victim, which is the creature. Um, you know, the real villain in Frankenstein is Frankenstein, Dr. Frankenstein, who is this mad scientist. In In this film, the bad guys are uh the local sheriff and and this also disturbed serial killer and it's people it's not the monsters who can do a lot of damage uh one of the things that this movie has going for it also is some really fantastic special effects um and one thing i love about most movies based on clive barker stories is that clive barker usually directs them too or has a very strong hand in them and it's something i miss is Clive Barker directing films because he really he's kind of an unsung hero of uh, 80s and 90s mostly 90s uh, horror and sci-fi and fantasy filmmaking everybody's familiar yep. with his books well most people are familiar with his, some of his books everybody knows Hellraiser because it's been turned into a huge franchise but this is one of 
I don't want to say completely lesser known because this has definitely turned into a cult film. Yes, um, and I think it, actually the the recovery effort of this film has helped it have a renaissance, which is great. Uh, people are getting to see it, and then you know, fantastically, we uh, they discovered that they had all of this uh, footage, and I believe um, if if I understand correctly from what I read, they did a restoration from a VHS copy of Clive Barker's original director's cut from work print. So it was, it didn't even have, it wasn't even scored um, initially for the quote unquote cabal cut that they showed the first time in like 2007 at a film festival or at a horror festival. Um, But I do believe they found the high quality, like they found the rest of the actual footage. And that is why it's it's so seamless when you're watching the director's cut is because they were able to find camera original stuff. Uh, It was in the archive at, um, oh man, now I'm not going to remember what studio was handling it. Morgan Creek went out of business. Was that 20th Century Fox? I know Fox distributed it. It, It's one of the big ones, yeah. And they they decided that they had no interest in um, doing a restored or didn't have a you know, financial yeah. incentive to doing a restored cut, but they did allow, um, uh, was it Scream Factory that did the director's yep. cut? They did allow them to put together a cut and uh, release it, so. Well, and uh, the one of the problems that the film had when it first came out was how it was marketed, and we have examples of that in relatively recent years. The one that immediately comes to mind is um, Zack Snyder's Watchmen film. Okay. That was yeah. totally mismarketed. I mean, it was like, oh, this is a big superhero movie. It's like, no, nah, it's a drama about superheroes, but don't expect a whole kind bunch of, of action an- scenes. It's kind of the anti-superhero movie. It really actually, is. But... <laughs> and, and Nightbreed was kind of the anti-typical monster movie you yeah. know, for its well, time. And what was popular? Was... I mean, you think about what was popular in the 80s, definitely. I know this came out in 1990 initially, yeah. but... Um, I don't remember which slasher sequel it was or what was the big thing going on at the time, but the studios definitely pushed this towards, uh, in almost all of its original trailers and that, like it was a slasher film. Yep. They, yeah, uh, there's a guy in a mask with a razor, which there is a scene of course, but it's about five minutes of the movie. Yeah. And that's, it's a very, it's an important part of the plot, but it's a very small part of the plot and it's certainly not a slasher film. Um, it does have some like one, like incredibly good slasher moments in it but um yeah definitely the selling this as a slasher film sells its high concept really short and it also misleads the audience who wants to see a slasher film and then all of a sudden they're dropped into this kind of what really is a dark fantasy film more than a horror film um i think nobody knew exactly what they were getting into because yeah it was it was marketed very um, incorrectly or inappropriately even and then Clive Barker was very much aware that that was going on and, and fought tooth was, and nail against it and well, yeah. I mean obviously lost his argument but um, I, I yeah, think it's fantastic I, that he got involved with this again and actually got to do a director's cut they were going to release this um, three hour well no not quite three but like two hour and 40 minute cabal cut which if if I understand correctly what it is, is there's a theatrical release of the film from 1990, uh, which I was originally familiar with. And then uh, the Cabal cut um, in its finished, so with the high-quality original footage uh, put together, what they did is take everything. Clive Mm -hmm. Barker's original, you know, um, what you would call a rough cut, 
of the film yeah. and um, restored that and, and released it. And it was doing kind of the festival circuit and it played. And I actually got a, um, acquired it, I think, online somewhere. I don't remember if it was on YouTube or whatever, but I got, I got a chance to see it. And um, I think what Clyde Barker did was um, just go back and kind of tone some of that down. And, and I, I think just from a director's standpoint, took into mind like, okay, well, there is a reason why we trimmed some of this yeah. stuff so yeah. um so he went back to that cabal cut and then you know did did what they probably would have done in 1990 and and trimmed out some of the additional stuff that wasn't appropriate or, or kind of fixed pacing issues and he actually got which fantastic um my my one of my top favorite film composers underneath you know the royalty of, of john williams but uh danny yeah. elfman did danny the score elfman, yeah. to this movie and um and it's great he actually too. got danny elfman back for the director's cut to do some new music so that's i mean it just um and i guess before i we will go back when we wrap up and you know do our official grading of everything but sure this is an interesting situation and and i know people that are and probably if you're listening to a podcast about movies you you are a pretty giant film nerd but Film nerds always go on and on about, you know, oh, the director's cut of this, the director's cut of that. And this is a pretty prime example of why that can be a very important thing, and it's not just kind of a film nerd, um, it, you know, have to see the director's cut. It's not just like, um, it's not just for film nerds. This is, this is like a very is, different movie in a lot of ways. Yeah. In, um, the way that Clive Barker actually cut it together. So. In ways that it, in a way it is, and in some ways it isn't. I mean, one thing I'm always careful about any time um, that a film's director's cut is released is, you know, sometimes you get, it, it's like, okay, so somebody put the deleted scenes back in. You know, yeah. that's the director's well, and, cut. Well, and be and weary this, because they marketing will sell you something called a director's cut that the director never touches that that's exactly right. what it is is people will go back right. in and just kind of put deleted scenes back into films i would say that in and, this film there's a number of scenes in the beginning that are short that don't really do too much to change the story i mean one thing that that i was a little bit led into in in preparing to watch this one is even Clive Barker saying this is an entirely different film, and it's like, eh, the plot's pretty much the same, you know. <laughs> Let's. Yeah, I mean, the elements there, are there. I there feel are like some in... different. There are definitely it. The it ends in a very different direction. Yes, you see where his ambition was to go. This originally was he had he had conceptualized this as a three film, yeah, um, uh, series or the cycle, and. Um, Fortunately, which man, I just found out these exist. There are they finished in comic book form. Yeah. So, um, which I, I had no idea until I was reading about it like yesterday, and um, now I'm gonna have to track that stuff down because I really want would like to read, you know, there was the rest also, of the story. But there was also a Hellraiser versus Nightbreed comic. Yes, there was. Yeah, and that that's outside of the original um, story arc, but and yeah. Clive Barker didn't write any cool. of it, but he did. He did. Um, I believe lend to the creators of the Nightbreed comic series, you know, his notes and where he was going to go with the story. So it is, it is somewhat faithful to his yeah. original intentions, but anyway, that's, that's beyond that's Nightbreed EU. So we'll, uh, um, yeah, I, I so. think, you know, this is, like I said, it's a good example of how a director's cut really can be very different in certain aspects. I don't want to lead people into thinking, Oh, watch the director's cut of Nightbreed. And, it'll be an entirely different film-going experience. No, I mean, it's 
your favorite scenes are probably still there. Most yes. of the changes are at the end, and most of it is to set up some very detailed character motivation. I think yeah. that's one of the things. And, and again, here you have a situation where the original director is also the original writer of the source material. He wrote the novella, and he has this plan for, like you said, this larger universe, right? Or this three-part, at least a trilogy. Which I think, the way we eat up franchises today, if this movie were to come out today, it totally would have been successful, and it would have been all over the place. But, yes. Um, so then when he's allowed to go back, you're seeing not just deleted scenes put back in, so it's like, here's everything we shot thrown together, like the Cabal cut, in a way. Yeah. This is... Yeah, and that's what... I've, I don't know if you've had a chance to see the Cabal Cut, but that's very much what it is. Is It's like every scene that they shot has been restored. Yeah, and that's um, why and, you have editing, right? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, and it, it compared to with the director's work. cut, it's not that it's bad. In fact, there's some there's some good stuff that got cut back out of the director's cut like out mm-hmm. for character development. And, but it really... Um, the Clive Barker's director's cut has really paced up the movie. Like, it, it the Cabal Cut was... You know, it was long, and it... it didn't need to be so long in places and there are places where it you know it plotted along a little bit so um, yeah i, I said the way move, that you know, the cabal cut is kind of like the lord of the rings extended editions like <laughs> yeah. yeah okay so we're, we're learning more about this character i mean i don't really care but okay well, they, i guess they filmed that so here it is but when you watch right. the, the director's cut of nightbreed you definitely have the 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 main characters are given more of an arc you're you're seeing more of their motivations and then some of the supporting cast you see are becoming bigger players in the future and that's something that's set up really really well in the director's cut so one of the downsides about the director's cut is it really pissed me off watching it saying i want to see more of this and it's not going to happen yeah, you know, because they never did come out with this, and and it goes back to how it was marketed. Now, one of the things I did read about the marketing for this film is the marketing director, when Clive Barker went off on him and essentially and said, "This is what are you doing? This is downplaying my film and my story." You know. Yeah. Well, essentially, um, Clive Barker said repeatedly when he's talked about Nightbreed since, mm-hmm. and when he kind of did uh, the the press release, and I, I haven't had a chance to see any of the additional. I watched it actually on. Um, the, the film's available on Tubi TV as yep. well as on Shudder. If you're a Shudder um, mm-hmm. subscription, it's a horror-based yep. subscription streaming service. Uh, the, the director's cut version of the film is available on both of those services. So I did watch it on Tubi, and uh, so I w- unfortunately, and this is one I, I'm going to amend this. I'd like to get the Blu-ray because I want to watch some of the supplemental materials because they do have some interview stuff with Clive Barker mm-hmm. about mm-hmm. putting this together. And kind of the history of the project, and I I would really like to see that. Um, however, I have, I've read enough about kind of in the process of this whole thing coming coming about. Um, he just really feels like he got shafted because the studio just didn't get this movie. Um, oh no! They, well, I don't. They, I don't think they saw Hellraiser, or actually, I think it ended up the guy that was running Morgan Creek at the time didn't see Hellraiser and didn't actually sit through Nightbreed because he said both of them made him sick to his stomach. Yeah, and. Uh, so he wasn't even given the respect of having his executive producers sit through this, you know, film. Um, yeah, so they just marketed it with the slasher stuff, which yeah, yeah it's and then present in it, but it's it, very minor as far as like runtime. That's they not ran it an for representation of the film. for test audiences. Um, 
I believe, in a little bit pared down version from his original. Um, however, the long cut, we'll call it the Cabal cut, even though that's a you know name attached to it much later. But um, from that original cut, they had pared down a bit, but they uh, had a test screening, um, or many, uh, however, test market screenings go. And uh, people did not like the way the film ended. Um, and I believe it had the ending that we're now seeing again in the director's cut with, you know, the Nightbreed looking mm-hmm. for a new Midian and, and Boone kind of stepping into the place of their their leader, or at least their, um, you know, the person who's going to lead them to the new, wherever their new Midian is. Um, but... Uh, the biggest complaint and this could be because of the market this would have been pre-marketing so i don't know but the biggest complaint the test audiences had is they didn't like that there was that they kind of just quickly killed off uh dr decker the serial the the, you know slasher Mm -hmm. character in the movie yeah um so they went back and because you're familiar with the theatrical cut they actually went back post-production got david cronenberg back and shot i believe a couple days think clive barker was involved with the shooting but it was a, a pretty haphazard shot a new ending for decker coming back to life and all this like uh um and that's what ended up getting slapped on the end of the theatrical cut which is something that never was written in in barker's mm-hmm. script or any um ha- did he ever have any intention of doing that with that character so I mean, that was that, all that... based on a test market and, um, and it's weird to think back on it now because that ending i always loved that ending yeah, I, I mean, I, like, oh, I didn't because he's a good different. character. I didn't. He is. He's a great character. And in in the director's cut of the film, the original way that he was dealt with is he and Boone just kind of have a a battle, and um, which is which is cool. It's it's staged well, but it's it's brief, and he's uh, killed, <laughs> and that's all there yeah. is to it. And that's uh... well, and the priest too. Um, I mean, yeah. A minor it's, character it's, that became a much more developed character in the director's cut. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he he was at the end of the original version. He's kind of, you know, going to be Decker's lackey. He's going to mm-hmm. be his, his Igor. And then you look at this new director's cut version, and you say, oh no, actually, he was supposed to be the villain in part two, and maybe three. Yep. He's you know he's the real. He's the, the next villain. So the setting things up the way that you do um yeah just a real shame that floored me when i read that you know uh you know the guy didn't even watch the film before he decided how it was going to be marketed just like that is yeah yeah i mean they just literally went i don't remember whether it was a friday the 13th picture or uh, 1990 i'm trying to think what would have even been the big thing at the time but they definitely just literally threw it up because they didn't know what to do with it so they wanted it to compete directly with some of the other studios horror films which at the time i think happened to be slasher pictures so they yeah just marketed it that way and which you know they obviously were doing because they had given up on this film um which is sad because it's really i think and i it's hard to say this because all three of clive barker's films are so ambitious and like just well-made um if Mm -hmm. like i said earlier like i even even hellraiser all kind of hellraiser is definitely the most horror film out of the three of them but they're all kind of dark fantasy films more than they are horror films he he directed not just wrote but he directed hellraiser he 
which is interesting too and i mean we should save this for a whole hellraiser episode but he made some changes from his source material for that film which i thought yeah was some quite significant ones which yeah. were, were smart changes i think yeah. but yeah we'll, we'll um, save that for another yeah. episode but uh you know he directed this and then i'm trying to think was it lord of illusions lord of illusions yep was this other one that he which directed? he had a similar and, and that'd be a great one to talk about someday too yeah. um film. but he had a similar <laughs> experience with the movie studios so i think i think between his his strife with getting nightbreed finished and his experience with lord of illusions i think it's pretty much why he doesn't direct films anymore i think that's yeah <laughs> but i gosh his source material is so good I, i'm still waiting to see a, a film version of the thief of always and no that's uh, been supposedly you know, coming like five different times and never um henry Selleck and tim burton were attached to a Oh, a, a, clay, a claymation version of that. So Henry Selick is the director who did, you know, Nightmare Before Christmas. And yeah, yep. the animator. He, he's the animation supervisor on some of Tim Burton's animated claymation films, and he did Coraline, and I don't know, but he's really, really fantastic work. And I think it would have been perfect, just like, uh, especially with Henry Selick. You know, if he directed, um, would have been just the perfect fit for Thief of Always, but it never made it. So, well, one thing too that that's always got me about Clive Barker's work is how wonderfully adapted it can be to comic books. I mean, you mentioned the Nightbreed comics before, and mm-hmm. I I know of them, but I've never seen them. I did for a while there have it on my list of comic books to track down with some of the old '90s Hellraiser comics. Yeah, which and, actually just they're a large omnibus. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, edition of all those came out and i would love it's a little pricey but I, I think i would love to get my hands on that at some point those are great because some of them do continue the story of like kirsty and all that from the original film but a lot of them are just different aspects of this universe and it's it's kind of a looking back you know these are from the 90s and you look back and there's a whole bunch of really great artists from before they were big names and there's some mike mignola and um Oh gosh, I mean, there's just it's of this great Mike Brignola of Hellboy fame of Hellboy yeah. fame, yeah. Um, some, there's a beautiful story arc done by Alex Ross, who's a very well-known uh, comic book artist for his hyperrealism. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He's known for especially doing hyperrealistic paintings of a lot of the Marvel and DC characters. And there it is. We've officially brought up comic books, and I think every single episode. <laughs> so you know, but I but well, there's the, this one's directly since this this yeah. story was officially continued via via comic books it's uh right it's, but it's I warranted think, it's you know there's there's um the effects though in this one and that's something i've also loved about all of clive barker's movies is his effects are never really that cheesy you know some of them they're a little lower budget there's a few scenes in hellraiser but hellraiser is just so screwed up on its own that, that oh man yeah the care the special um, effects in nightbreed like just the creature design and the, i mean and and Clive Barker is a very descriptive writer with some of his stuff, but when you read his stuff, you I, it's just mind-boggling trying to put yourself in the the shoes of like the production designer who's going to have to you know visualize and make this into a real costume or makeup or, um, but they do they did such a good job with some of the just kind of off the wall monsters that they have in this. Do, uh, in this do you have a favorite? Do you have a favorite monster from Nightbreed? Um, and, I'm not, and I'm not going to quiz you on names because I have no but yeah i have no idea either i, I know, I know like two or three I, if you yeah. watch the end credits they they you know i actually like some of the designs of the berserker type um mm-hmm. like they're so different from 
I, I guess that's what I love most about it, and this is a bit of a cop out because it's kind of like saying, "Oh, I love all of them," but um, <laughs> I like. <laughs> um, I really like the fact that there's this really kind of rich um, diversity of different types of monsters, and they're all kind of like a little bit based on mythos, but you know, kind of different as well. Like you kind of see where they could. Uh, have a little bit of vampire creature and a little bit mm-hmm. of werebeast creature and a little bit of, you know, just some, some total batshit crazy stuff too. But um, there's an, a, an incredible, I don't know if eco-diversity is the right word, but like there's all kinds of different, there's, there's you know, you know mostly human monsters. And then there's all the way down to these, you know, these berserker ones. They keep locked up in the bottom of Midian because they, you know, are just, they're beyond. Um, Mad bastards that'll tear off your head and <laughs> shit down your neck apparently as as they're described and that character too which i feel bad that i can never remember the character names of this but yeah the the guy like his name is really not ever it is it is given like right at the beginning when he meets when when boone first meets him in the hospital room he introduces himself i believe but man i can't remember his name either yeah but i bet it's it's here i can look he's got some great this movie is full of some great one-liners i mean the script is really good um you know just there's there's that one and there, there's a it, it's a really really surprisingly good script and david cronenberg has a uh weird the decker character is a little bit strange because he there's sometimes the dialogue seems really like wow cronenberg you're you're kind of phoning this in and then there's times where it's really really good yeah i I actually think David Cronenberg's incredibly good in this movie. Um, I assume that he got involved with the project via them, you know, both being filmmakers with kind of mutual interests. There's definitely some crossover between uh, at least Clive Barker's fiction for sure and David Cronenberg's. We we talked about you know body horror and stuff in last week when we talked about The Fly, but um, they definitely have. I assume some got connected via mutual interests and i'm not sure exactly how he talked him into taking like a major role and cronenberg's acted here and there um and other things i love uh, one of my favorite moments in the movie jason x is david cronenberg suddenly shows up in that as well but um, yeah <laughs> briefly but uh anyway um he's he's really pretty damn good in this movie it's it usually you kind of think like oh it's a it, it was a gimme job, you know, like they're buddies or, you know, they're both directors or whatever, but I don't think it was. I think this was a decision that, that he was the right person for this role. And I, I gotta say, I, I agree with that. Um, I think he's, he's a really creepy, you know, psychopath doctor. This, this, this character of Decker works. This is going to sound blasphemous, but it honestly works better for me because you see him, his, his connection with his patient and the way he manipulates Boone uh, this works better for me than Hannibal Lecter ever did. Um, and I think it's just because you never really... Well, I guess in some of the ex- sequels and extended stuff, you did get to see Hannibal Lecter. And especially there's a television series that I never really watched but um, and somewhat familiar with that um, developed that. So I'm yeah. going to put that on the back burner a little bit because I'm I'm talking about stuff that I'm I've not actually seen all of. But yeah, so... But for me, the it's right in the same realm as the Hannibal Lecter character, and and David Cronenberg really knocks it out of the park. He's genuinely creepy in many of his scenes in this film. 
Yeah, I mean, there's it's honestly that some of the scenes where he's just the doctor and he's like talking to the police, some of the dialogue comes off very odd. It's just it's kind of it's it's just Cronenberg. It's just Cronenberg. Yeah. Well, I think he's very very detached and everything everything he does is a careful you know calculated manipulation and i think he's got he thinks he's got this whole thing figured out and then this whole new world with the midian situation opens up and honestly his like fire and brimstone approach to destroying midian and destroying the monsters i think because he's the sociopath is totally because they fucked up his plan (laughs) like Mm -hmm. that was you know never he never counted on you know the monsters showing up or whatever yeah yeah, um, and I, we actually something I, I got thinking about and had a conversation with about after rewatching this is what is Decker's real motive for hating the Nightbreed, for hating all the monsters in Midian, and and I think it just comes down to you know well he he says it at one point like you know I I go around and I kill all these people and I just get rid of the filth that's breeding filth and now I find there's a whole catacombs full of filth so it's very like supremacist genocide he wants everybody mm-hmm. to fit his mold and these the night breed which i i love that they're so you know also called the tribes of the moon it's just yeah there was a whole mythos set up about these these characters and it was really yeah. really great um and it's just a shame that it didn't catch on the way that it did and i i'm not saying i want to see a remake of Nightbreed made in 2018 or, or in the future um, i would be very very skeptical of that i would see it i'm sure but well they'd get my yeah, money that, yeah that'd be a tough sell on yeah i don't know it doesn't need to be this director's cut honestly is so good that it, it filled any void that i would have or want that i would have for some kind of remake or reboot of this like mm-hmm. it it redeemed this movie in many ways. And let me explain that because I never thought it was necessarily a poor movie. I always enjoyed Nightbreed. I thought Nightbreed was a very flawed movie. Um, I thought it was something that it was Clive Barker's sophomore film. Uh, this is, this is based on just having seen the theatrical cut when I was, you know, younger. Um, and it was a sophomore film. I thought, you know, Hey, he had a lot of ambitions, extremely ambitious story very creative um approach to the whole you know monster or horror genre and i just really thought that it just was flawed in a couple of ways and that maybe you know the the kind of my my perception and my memory of the theatrical cut of this movie is that things just aren't developed very well like you kind of get to this point when you're at midian and you don't really know where you're at or why you're there and um that solved all of those problems and and i don't know why it's like why did i ever doubt clive barker but um it it redeemed him in the fact that no he was never he he never botched telling the story it was the cut that by i mean it was the the what was removed from this to get it down to theatric you know 90 or 100 minutes or whatever they released it theatrically at I mean, they removed most of the story. <laughs> and Yeah, uh, and I think that's something that, upon realizing that, with watching this director's cut, it, it it's, made it's, me realize, wow, you know, because I never noticed, I'm not denying them, but I never noticed those flaws before because, like I said, this movie came out in 1990, and a lot of moderate budget horror fantasy films that came out kind of had choppy editing because they were never really big budget. So, yeah. I, I I don't think I ever. That's noticed always what I, I was... thought was the issue with this is that it was just, 
you know, it was a film with a lot of ambition that was never quite realized. And to find out, yeah. I'm so happy to find out that I was wrong about that and that this really was a masterpiece and it just was just, you know, butchered by people that didn't understand it, it or wanted to sell it as something it wasn't. So It makes me wonder how many other films from the late 80s, early 90s that were, yeah, as good as okay, actually were really, really great when you include the things that the director or the writer you know the the original source of that story if somebody and i think so i think nightbreed's a unique situation with this director's cut because you have a director who also wrote the source material they are passionate about this story this isn't a director who cares about it because they signed on or they read the story and they like it and this is the guy who wrote it and he's directing it so for it to to turn out anything other than perfection is not going to be because of the director you know perfection in their eyes it's yeah. it's going to be down to a studio or an editor and i wonder how many other situations maybe none but maybe a few of of genre films of this particular era uh that maybe or maybe other maybe even today that are victim of studio meddling and we already know of a few that just came oh, out yeah. right there's situations yep. where but I'm, I'm talking. Not gonna, I'm not going to bring up DC again, but DC again. So you yeah. just did it, yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know, but and I'm not trying to get on there like a like you know a DC fanboy, even though I am one. Um, yeah. Just just the. I wonder how many other films. It's that it's not has... about defending the DC whatever. It's it's more about equating it to the idea of a studio that doesn't understand its product. Yeah, or understand the person that they hired on to write it, whether I agree with them or not. In this case, Clive Barker is like, yeah, he's the guy who wrote it. Yeah. And he has a vision for how it should be captured visually on the screen. And they meddled with it. And it, which makes me wonder, like, well, let's say they hired the guy, they, you know, they gave him money to make a film, and they're going to distribute it. What what makes you think you know better than the person who knows the source material about what's marketable? Why would you purchase a film that you don't understand and don't know. And I'm surprised they hired him if the head of the studio was so disgusted by Hellraiser, which is a disgusting well, film. Hellraiser made right. a lot of money. Hellraiser was, you know, a, a sleeper hit, like, um, that kind of caught on fire. It yeah. was a low-budget low movie that created a phenomenon. So, of course, they want to hire the guy, yeah. but then... But then let know, him they do don't his understand shit. What they, yeah, but. <laughs> let him do his shit. Let him do his work. Let him do the things that he can do. Uh, yeah. Instead, they went, well, we want you to make it like this. I can think of another film that I didn't care for uh, that was the same kind of situation, but kind of in the reverse, was when Tim Burton was hired on to direct Planet of the Apes. Yeah. This is like, this doesn't feel like a Tim Burton film, whether you like that or not. And it just sucks. It's like, where's why would you hire a, a stylized director or in some cases writer and director to make a film and then completely pull back are you just going for the name like is, was that yeah. what they were doing well, is we want clive barker's nightbreed being a tim burton fanboy kind we're of we're gonna tell I, you what to do clive i'm not sure that was a direction issue i think it was a lot of things that that movie just the screenplay wasn't great and it just it wanted to be too many things at once and um yeah, I mean, I think it was competently directed. It looks neat. <laughs> like, the effects are... Special effects are good, and, like, I don't know. It just It's a competently made movie that's just not very good. So, anyway. But, leave that for another time. But, <laughs> um, 
Yeah, and just before we wrap up talking about Nightbreed, I just wanted to get a chance, you know, no matter what cut of the film one prefers uh, to watch, the I just wanted to get a chance to talk about some of the like phenomenal makeup effects, set design, and oh, they're uh, excellent. Just the the crazy monsters that populate the film, and the fact that the film was made on a and I my IMDb we had a technical snafu, which everybody you know fortunately will not hear hopefully, but um, I lost my IMDb page, so I don't have the budget sitting in front of me. I think it was eleven million, and it got eight. I think it 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 earned eight at the box office or eight point five or something, but I think it had like an eleven million dollar budget, which for its time was fairly moderate to small, you know. Yeah. Yeah, well, eleven million even in nineteen ninety, I think, was a, a relatively small budget film, especially yeah. the um, for what they got out of it. I mean, it, the film looks fantastic. I don't, I don't have any complaints. It, it never looks cheap or low budget. Um, I think the set design is of the way that they use their space, because Midian was obviously shot in a soundstage, and I shouldn't say mm-hmm. obviously, like that, that sounds very negative, but. Um, I think they use their space very like you, you see in a lot of movies of the era, especially, I mean, it's 1930s and 40s studio days all the way up to the um, advent of you know modern green screen technology. Um, you see, for better or worse, people utilize you know a soundstage to create kind of other worlds and um, places like this. So there, there's a good way to do it, and there's there's you know poor ways to do it where it kind of looks like you're just cycling through the same room over and over again with a little bit of different wall decorations or um this the set design of this film was incredibly good it, it created oh, kind of yeah. this this catacombs and the you know populated with these fantastic creatures i don't remember who did the um, i think and if i remember correctly the, the director's cut even more so like it you really get in a few of the extra scenes that are put in there, it really shows how expansive these catacombs are. Correct me if I'm wrong, because I haven't seen the theatrical in many years at this point, but I don't believe the entire... There's a scene where um, Laurie and Bobby's character, who's Boone's girlfriend, comes down into Midian to find him and is demanding, Mm -hmm. you know, I want to see... I need to see Boone. Um, And the... Again, the character who we couldn't come up with a name for. The uh, guy who cut off all of his skin off of his head but his face. Um, Narcissus. I did look it yeah, up. Yeah, Narcissus. Okay, yep. Oh, that's right. Um, so he kind of gives her a Midian tour almost. Like he is walking around like, this is this place and, and da-da-da. And, you know, she she pretty much just keeps demanding, like, I need to see Boone, I need to see Boone. Uh, but... I don't remember there being as much detail to that scene or, or getting the kind of walkthrough of Midian that you get in this director's cut. There's a little bit of her kind of wandering blindly, and there's a few little scenes. You know, there's the the guy with the eels that comes out of his body. He's like, there goes the neighborhood. There's the yep. big gigantic fat guy with stuff drooling out of him that comes. So they they left the silly one liners in, but they didn't leave the, like all the great yeah. exploring. Yeah, you, you've got narcissists dancing with a corpse and all that, but there's there seems to be a, a fair amount more in the uh, in the director's cut 
um, but but not just thrown in. It's done as a way of, and now we're going to give you a tour of this really amazingly weird place, mm-hmm. um, which you can see. Okay, f- if if you're going to cut something down, the theatrical version of that, it got the point across that this place has a lot of creatures in it, but it. Yeah, Never I mean, really from, from a scale. story standpoint, if I was, you know, the editor and I, they had, you know, studio came to me and said, cut an hour out of this film. I, I mean, obviously, that's something that would probably yeah, you got logically have to go. go. But, it but does... I'm so glad that they're in this version because it really yeah. shows how expansive this place is. Um, you know, we were talking a little bit just, too early. I guess it just shows like, like about... how well realized Midian and all of its creatures are. Like, it just. I don't know. I, it just again like i said about the narrative of the film as well it just impressed me of how much this film wasn't kind of the um it's still a good movie. i hate to call it a failure but it wasn't the kind of stumbling point of clive barker's career like it or filmmaking career like it kind of seemed like it was this was really just uh, a botch job by people you know the studios anyway we moved on from that point but yeah. just uh it just goes to show um and i was trying to look here and see who it was that did like what studio it was that did the special effects in this film um and i hmm. don't have it in front of me so that's a fail there. I, I i think it's pretty i'm pretty sure it might be some of the same people that worked on hellraiser but i could be wrong on that i thought it was yeah. Um, there's definitely some similarities in in the designs um no I, I just thought that you know of all of these creatures they all had really fantastic makeup effects and, and i loved how some of them just looked normal like you brought up before some of these are more human based but but some of them look genuinely human they just look like people but they have these you know conditions where like you can't go in the sun or you'll burn up and you know you'll turn into a mutant thing or whatever yeah you know, well, like, but all not of these... all of them are the same like like I, we were talking about earlier there's mm-hmm. a diversity like some of them you know can't go in the sun some of them can some of them you know mm-hmm. you know drink blood or whatever I, they never said that specifically but like some are shapeshifters have... and you know right yeah it's it's a very Flush, well flushed out world and the director's cut kind of makes you see get to see a little more of that and it's just it's so well realized um i don't know if i realized i don't know if i saw the whole vision and that, that's why something like a director's cut is so important to a film that you you really love like uh nightbreed yeah. and and this officially goes on the list of film i really love now and and then this cut really did that for me i've always liked it i've always had a like a large you know place for this movie in my in my heart but um i i always like i think i already said that but i i always kind of saw it a little bit as you know as flawed it was my it was probably my least favorite i don't know it's it sits in a weird place because concept wise mm-hmm. it may be my favorite of clive barker's movies or story wise but i just thought it was the least well realized of his three films and i'm i i don't believe that anymore at all <laughs> so yeah i you know what i think i'd have to go back and watch lord of illusions again because i remember it being a good movie but that I one is re- another one that makes sure you get a hold of the director's cut uh yeah, it's, it's again very different to. from the one they released theatrically and much more uh realized yeah it just it looks like he went 
on to make Lord of Illusions and had al- almost an identical struggle. And well, and one of the things so I've I, noticed I don't here blame with Lord him of at Illusions, all for being retired from Hollywood. Know, so, <laughs> Lord of Illusions and Nightbreed, you know, and, and Hellraiser, all of these just incredible stories. But like you said, it's how they're going to be visualized on the screen, and that's more than just a director's say or the writer's say. Uh, Lord of Illusions, which is a great movie. I'm pretty sure I have it on DVD. I should give it another watch. But I don't remember a lot about it. I remember a few scenes, but not really that much. I remember the basic idea of the plot, but I wouldn't. I couldn't tell you any of the twists, twists and turns in it. Nightbreed is one that's always stuck with me. Mm-hmm. Um, that it's it's a it's a familiar story, but told around characters and creatures that are not commonly used to tell that story yeah you know a story about outsiders that have been shunned and because they're different but they're actually not the bad guys i mean am i talking about nightbreed or am i talking about x-men you know yeah. it's well you know, it's it, it a had very the potential and, and again i'm gonna be brief but it had the potential to go to that place um yeah. almost like an x-men type I mean, if this developed into a long-term comic book series, I mean, it's definitely got that that feel to it. It's um, it's obviously a little darker. It, I mean, it's Clive yeah, Barker's imagination, very much so. um, but it's it is it has the potential of being an ongoing uh, world or an ongoing um, story. That could, uh... Now, there just two months ago in June, there was an announcement that Clive Barker and the sci-fi channel which we can no longer just bash on the sci-fi channel because they've started actually putting out stuff that's not that bad hey some i love it borders the sci-fi on, channel <laughs> some of it borders on good yeah have, you know have you seen z, seen z nation i um, i have not seen, i've heard a lot of good things about i've heard a lot of good things about their show the, the expanse maybe the sci-fi yeah anyway but that's supposed to be very yeah. good as well but, but apparently they're coming out with a nightbreed series Yes, I did read that, and I that's been a kind of it's in the rumor mill for, for a while, while. But I did see a confirmation yeah. that they are doing it, and Clive Barker is involved at a exec at an executive producer level, but still he is involved with the project. So, which I'm, is great. I'm which curious, is good. Yeah, I mean, we had talked before, like ah, I don't want them to remake Nightbreed, and it's like no, I don't want them to try to remake it into a film. But I think as a as a TV series, I think it could be really cool to see what they do with it. I don't know if yeah. they're going to try to continue it. Or I assume just, they'll I start. It's going to be a full reboot from the beginning um, again. But I think, yeah, I, 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 it's kind of screaming for that kind of treatment. Maybe it should have had that treatment all along. It just wasn't the way those kind of stories were told in 1990. Nobody had the budget or the interest to put something like that into a television series. So. Well, you know, I, I made the kind of you know joking comparison to Lord of the Rings before, but that too was not an easy film project to get off the ground because oh right, I mean they've been trying for decades to get something <laughs> that made so. Even, yeah, I mean, I, I, even the animated really... uh, Ralph Baskey's uh, yeah. animated Lord of the Rings film uh, ran out of money. <laughs> they couldn't even finish it. So, Well, yeah, and I think it, it wasn't until Lord of the Rings that people really saw franchises like that. I know people think, oh, what about Star Wars? Yeah, we had decades in between Star Wars packages of, prequel, of, of prequels and sequels. But, I mean, you know, it, we wouldn't have... The current Star Wars universe we had now, we wouldn't have 
the current MCU and all of this other stuff. If it wasn't for Peter Jackson and Lord of the Rings showing that, yes, you can create these expansive, timed, scheduled franchises. Yeah. You know, that these aren't just sequels. This isn't Superman Part 2. This is the next chapter in this big saga, and it's coming out in a, a very specific way. I guess Harry Potter kind of did it too, but Lord of the Rings... Harry you Potter know. was a little more disjointed and, and sequelish. I mean, even even in the no, in the series of novels, because I, I early on in that series, I don't think she knew she was writing you know so many books. It's, and same yeah, thing with the movies, because the the series the series of novels hadn't finished, and it changed directors, and it changed producers, and it changed styles, and and that's something yeah. that, you know the Lord of the Rings films didn't. I mean, that was a very contained. This is a three part saga yeah. you know it's like... and, and i think that's what the mcu is doing now and i think if they did something like that with nightbreed there's a reason i was going there bringing it around yeah yeah uh, if, i knew where you were get going yeah. by that if, if you if they can do that with nightbreed in a tv series you know i think but if you think about it though that's what this is what clive barker was looking at doing back in 1990 he was trying to create this you, he wasn't looking to make a nightbreed sequel you can tell by the way that the director's cut goes he had a cinematic universe plan maybe i don't think he was going to go off with like here's a you know decker gets his own film i don't think he was going to do something like that (laughs) but he definitely had a contained story arc over three parts planned ahead you know which yeah i know george lucas did that with star wars but yeah i mean arguable but (laughs) arguably yeah this this there was some things planned there this was set up for a sequel not a mm. sequel this was set up for it to be continued right um and so hopefully with barker being involved in this supposed tv series on sci-fi we will see in the next year or two what he really had in mind hopefully he has enough input and they listen to him enough where we get to see what clive barker really had in mind for this really fantastic story so um I mean, once again, this is a, a film that I love. So yeah, I mean, we we could probably talk about this yeah, film. For... But this is a, a thing, you know, like we've been talking about every episode. We can just start picking movies we don't like because I really like this one, and I always have. Yeah. Um, well, I, I think as the film itself goes, the the original version, I'm going to give it like a B plus. I think it's it's a it's a good movie. It's got some flaws, but it's got a really cool direction. And if you don't know the whole backstory about Nightbreed and what was going on with the studios, then you're probably gonna just take it at face value and assume this is what Clive Barker was okay with. Well, yeah, I guess it gets a B. But when you watch the director's cut, that's that's an A. That's that's. I'm gonna I'm gonna actually give it an A minus though, because again, it's market for the just the, the way it was marketed, and I think that's fair, <laughs> considering yeah. that was the problem with the theatrical version was how it was marketed. The director's cut's kind of marketed as it's an entirely two film and a new film. No, it's the same movie. It's it's a couple of scenes that give you some more insight into things and it's, especially about what the director had in mind. It's but more well realized. The story is yeah. better told and it, it 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 pulls you into the main narrative much more effectively. Like you understand where where you're going and what's going on. I feel like there it the first one I wouldn't call it hard to follow necessarily but it's just doesn't choppy yeah um and so so very indicative of a movie that was much longer that they cut a lot a large amount of material out of so um yeah and i'd like to wrap up on this one too we could talk about it all night i'm sure but in my opinion this was a probably b 
to B minus movie that in its director's cut version is an A or maybe even an A plus. Yeah. I think it's I think it's another masterpiece by Clive Barker. So um, if not his most well realized film, which is so funny because it it just it seemed like it seemed like an ambitious project that didn't quite make it to the mark, um, and it couldn't have been we couldn't have been more wrong. And I'm glad to see it finally put together in the way that he intended it to be. Yeah, this is definitely a movie I would like, even if you've seen the theatrical version before, uh, and you were underwhelmed with it. Um, I recommend if you're willing to give the uh, give the director's cut another shot, give that one a shot, and see if you walk away with the same thing. It's like I said, it's, don't expect an entirely different movie, but you know how your characters are described in films is so important, and this is one where. Like you said, finally they were able to get it, and I'm really glad they did because it it really takes it into uh, a new direction. It's really, really quite uh, quite a neat thing. Yes. So, and Very like I said, so. this is also part one of our two part monster. What'd you call monster palooza? Is that what you use? <laughs> yeah, unfortunately. Monster palooza, monster extravaganza. <laughs> yes. God, that just seems overused. Anything <laughs> does it's, it's colossal, monster colossal. Palooza. Yeah. 2018. <laughs> um, uh, so our part two is going to feature a film that is very, very, very similar. And yet so very different. <laughs> it really is. I'd love to see a mashup of these two films. Yeah. I've always kind of pretended in my mind as an adult that these two films were existing somewhere in the same universe. It's just but... the, the two main characters, totally different perspectives of them. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so next week's film, which is part two of our Monsters special, is the 1989 Fred Savage, Howie Mandel vehicle, Little Monsters. Little Monsters. And so, oh. uh, yeah, and so that's that's definitely one that I remember very fondly from growing up. So tune in next week to yeah. get a little insight of on uh, what we think about, as, as adults, about Little Monsters and how it relates to Nightbreed, because uh, you know, I think the case could be made that these are universe films. So, <laughs> okay, I can't wait for that. No. I got to hear that one. No. So, I'm not sure well, I really can make that case, but hey, it's fun. To... I'm, I'm gonna. You, it's on. It's on record. I'm gonna hold you to it. <laughs> Thanks then, everybody uh, for. Oh, I'm sorry. I was gonna. Oh no, I was, no, that's okay. Um, I was just gonna tell everybody that uh, coming up on August 24th, we're gonna start a two-part werewolf special yes. uh yes. which hey, we got to come up with names for these things because werewolf palooza is not going to be an option so no uh, it's not no so by the time we get to it we will uh we'll have a, a better name than that which won't be hard to do um so we are going to on the 24th be discussing the film dog soldiers and following week on August thirty first, we will be discussing the classic John Landis My film, favorite film of all time, American Werewolf in London. American so. Werewolf in London. It's it. Oh, I. You know, it's funny when we were going back and forth about. Oh, what are we gonna do for the werewolf films? And I was like, oh, I could do Howling. I could do American Werewolf in London. Fuck it. This is my only chance to ever review an American Werewolf in London. I'm gonna take it because that is. God damn! I love that movie. <laughs> Okay, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> so tune in next week for a lively discussion of Little Monsters and see how it parallels with Nightbreed. Uh, 
And thanks, everybody, for tuning in, uh, especially after what seems like to us a very long break. To you, seems like no time at all. Is that a bit of time dilation? I'll let you decide. Thank you again for tuning in. As always, this is Joe Peterson. This is Eric Branson. Thanks very much. You have been listening to the Video Junkyard Podcast. I do wish we could chat longer, but I'm having an old friend for dinner. You just can't let them go? Go. Stay on the road. Keep clear of the moors. We want to take this opportunity to thank you for listening to the Video Junkyard Podcast and remind you to find us on social media on Facebook at facebook.com slash Podcast. On Twitter, at Video Junk Pod, and on Instagram, as Video Junkyard Podcast, all one word. Want to thank you again for listening, and keep digging. Who knows what treasures you'll find in the Video Junkyard. <laughs>